Hey, it works. Look at that. Well, good morning again, and happy Resurrection Sunday. Uh, we are celebrating today Easter, or the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and I just want to recap a little bit before we jump into what's going on today, uh, what we talked about last week. Uh, last week was what on the church calendar? All right, some of you are awake just making sure. Palm Sunday. Uh, Palm Sunday was the day Jesus enters Jerusalem on a donkey. Uh, it's a very different entering. Jesus had been to Jerusalem before, but this was totally different for him as he entered in a way that a, that a king would enter in, in a fashion. And what did the people yell as he entered? Hosanna, Hosanna, which means, Lord, save us. Save us now. There's this imperative that they wanted to be saved. They knew that there was something that about the person of Jesus that would bring salvation. I would argue most of the people had a confusion as to what that salvation meant. Many of them were looking toward, toward the physical salvation, that they would uh, no longer be under oppression of the Romans, that that would be done with, and they would finally have freedom as the nation of Israel. Um, however, um, that wasn't nearly the salvation God was bringing because he uh, cared more about their eternal salvation than he did about their current circumstances. And so as we celebrated Palm Sunday, we talked about how people were chanting Hosanna to the false God they had created in their mind and how true it is in today. I've heard from so many people, and you've probably heard people um, talk about how God has disappointed them, how God has let them down. And the reality is it's their false God, this idol they've created in their mind of who they've decided God is, and then that God disappointed them, which of course it's going to fail them because it's not who God is. Uh, the God of the Bible is the only God. And yet sometimes, if we're honest, most of us have created a false God in our minds and we've worshiped him thinking that God was uh, kind of like a vending machine at times and he'll just do whatever we ask. And if we ask him something, we really mean it, then he's got to do it for us, right? And that's just not who God is. And so we talked a little bit about that last week. Um, Friday, we had our Tenebrae service, which uh, I hope, uh, I know a number of you are here, and I've heard good reports. You, you were, it really blessed you to be a part of our Tenebrae service. Uh, it's a unique service because you come in in silence, you leave in silence, and there's really no hope talked about um, too much on that Friday service because the goal is to make us feel the weight of what happened on that Friday as Jesus gave his life for us, to kind of feel a little bit of the weight of what the disciples felt, of what the whole movement of what they called the way, uh, which was Christianity's early beginnings, what they felt as this, this man that they knew was unique, that they knew was special. Very few understood his messianic uh, underlyings, that he was really the son of God. Very few people actually got it. And so they felt the weight of this, that this guy they followed, this person they had put all their trust and hope in, failed them in a lot of their minds. Those same people who yelled, Hosanna, Hosanna, were on that Thursday and Friday yelling, crucify him, be done with him. Not just kill this guy, but kill him in the most excruciating and painful way possible. I don't know if, if you follow crime shows or anything like that. Uh, there's a couple of my wife and I enjoy watching. Um, but uh, if you've ever watched those where they deal with a murder and, and, and certain murders, they're, they, they're, it's easy to see that there was emotional intent here, that this was somebody who had, there was, there was baggage here as they killed this person because of the way that they were killed. Understand the people yelling, crucify him. This was the most horrible way to die. 
There was baggage on these people's hearts as they would crucify him. It wasn't just put him in jail. It wasn't just get rid of him. It wasn't just kill him. It was let's find the worst way and let's make that happen. Why? Because they had put so much hope and so much trust in this guy. And it looked as if he had failed them. And so they were done with him. I've talked to many people who had that view of God and said, I'm done with church because he failed me. I asked him for healing over my child or over my parents or over my sister or brother or this person or that person, and he failed me. He didn't do what I asked, and so I'm done with him. And there's always so much hurt, so much baggage there. The day that Jesus was crucified on a cross was an ugly day. Too often we as Christians, we celebrate Good Friday with the knowledge of Sunday in our minds. And so even though it's this dark time, we call it Good Friday, and we, we have this hope because we know the end of the story. And I think sometimes we fail to sit and just realize the weight of what the world felt as Jesus died on the cross. It was an ugly day. It still is Good Friday, and there is still tremendous hope. But Friday was ugly. But Sunday, Sunday changed the story. I can't imagine being one of the disciples on Saturday. And if you've ever tried to put yourself in their, their mindset, it's very clear they did not understand what Jesus was saying. You've heard me refer to them before as knuckleheads, and they, they fit that description to a T. They just didn't get it. Three years of Jesus telling them, I'm going to die but I will be raised on the third day. Then Jesus dies and they say, oh, what's going to happen? We don't know. I can't, I mean, I know Jesus was in the grave, but he may have facepalmed himself, even in the grave, like, come on, guys. I told you this countless times. This is going to happen. And they all run. They desert him. They flee. They deny him because the events, just as Jesus described them, were taking place. But man, the depression those disciples must have felt on Saturday. They had poured everything into Jesus. They devoted themselves to him, many of them, for three years plus. They gave up everything. Peter gave up a wife he loved and a family he had. Many of the disciples, some of them gave up businesses. They gave up careers. They gave up everything for this guy. And then he just up and dies on him. And the whole movement looks like it's over. Saturday happens and they're, they're thrown into confusion. We don't know a lot about what happened on Saturday. No one writes a lot on, on Saturday. I can imagine they gathered themselves together. Uh, it seems pretty clear that they, they at least got back together at some point. I can't imagine the conversations that happened in that room as they commiserated. He's dead. He's gone. It's over. Saturday, Saturday, everything seemed lost. But then Sunday happened. Let me read for you the account of Sunday. One of the accounts found in Matthew. Uh, the verses will be up on the screen, uh, but if you want to follow in your own Bible, I read from the New Living Translation here. So uh, if you have choices of translations, if you have your own Bible in, in, on your phone or something, and you want to follow along with the exact translation, we're reading from the NLT, the New Living 
but let's look at exactly what happens on Sunday morning. Matthew 28, 1-10. Early on Sunday morning, as the new day was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to visit the tomb. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, rolled aside the stone, and sat on it. His face shone like lightning, and his clothing was as white as snow. The guards shook with fear when they saw him, and they fell into a dead faint. Then the angel spoke to the women, Don't be afraid, he said. I know you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He isn't here. He has risen from the dead, just as he said would happen. Come, see where his body was lying. And now, go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. Remember what I have told you. The women ran quickly from the tomb. They were very frightened, but also filled with great joy. And they rushed to give the disciples the angel's message. And as they went, Jesus met them and greeted them. And they ran to him, grasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, don't be afraid. Go tell my brothers to leave for Galilee, and they will see me there. The resurrection changed everything. I don't know what was going on in Mary Magdalene or the other Mary uh, in in their hearts and their minds as they were going toward the tomb. Uh, It says in other uh, accounts of the gospel that their intent was to go and and, uh, use spices on Jesus' body because by then it would have started to uh, get a smell. Uh, Dead bodies do that. And so they were going to take care of him and to take care of his body. Uh, And so it doesn't give the impression that they believed him when he said he would rise again. And so there had to be a lack of hope in their hearts. And then this angel shows up and this whole scene takes place. And it says they leave quickly. They run back to tell the disciples this message. Hope had been restored in their hearts. Man, what a difference their path to the tomb and their path away from the tomb was. They went feeling defeated and they ran back with hope in their hearts. How awesome that must have been. But the resurrection changed everything. My question for you this morning is how has it changed you? How has the resurrection changed you? You might say, I, well, I gave my life to Christ. Okay, how has that changed you? Well, I go to church now. Okay, how has that changed you? Well, I'm a better person. Okay, how has that changed you? Well, I don't do bad things anymore. So you don't sin anymore. Well, my sins are more acceptable now. Let's be honest. That's what a lot of us think. That's how we view the resurrection and the change the resurrection has had on us. Is we think, I'm just going to clean this up a little bit. I'll put on some nice clothes on Sunday. I'll go every now and then, whenever it's convenient, whenever work allows or life allows, I'll, I'll get there. And I'll just do my best to be a good person. I'll do my best to, to clean up my act. I'll, I'll, even, I'll even stop swearing everywhere but work. Uh, I'll, I'll stop doing the bad things that everybody can see, and I'll be a good Christian. And, unfortunately, church, we have kind of been okay with that. We've said, yeah, that's, that's what we're looking for. Look the part, walk the, walk the part, and that's enough. 
But here's the problem. Changed isn't enough. That's not what the gospel encourages us toward. Not only does Jesus die to pay the penalty for our sins, he rises from the dead to show his power over death. There is a power display in the resurrection. It's not just, hey, just want to make sure that the facts are straight. I'm God. Okay, that's good. Just wanted to make sure the information was there. See, you would think that this fact alone, this knowledge that Jesus rose again, would change his disciples forever, and it does. Yet look what happens when Jesus reveals himself to them. So this is just a little while after the resurrection. Uh, We're jumping over to Luke now, uh, chapter 24, verses 35 to 49. Jesus has died, he's risen from the dead, and this is the first time he reveals himself to the disciples as the group of disciples. Then the two from Emmaus told their story of how Jesus had appeared to them as they were walking along the road and how they had recognized him as he was breaking the bread. And just as they were telling about it, Jesus himself was suddenly standing there among them. Now, just want to pause for a moment because if you don't think Jesus has a sense of humor, you need to read the scriptures a little bit closer. Because these guys are telling this story of like, guys, you won't believe it. We just saw Jesus. And they're like, Jesus is dead. No, I'm telling you, we just saw him. And then Jesus, boom, he's in the room. And just, I don't know if, you, if you're a narrative person. I am. And I just think I would have been a little frightened in that moment. Moving on, verse 30, 37. But the whole group was startled and frightened, obviously, thinking they were seeing a ghost. Because again, they were convinced Jesus died. They saw him die, some of them. They knew he was dead. The Romans didn't make mistakes when it came to killing people. They were pretty thorough. Why are you frightened, he asked. Why are your hearts filled with doubt? Look at my hands. Look at my feet. You can see that it's really me. Touch me and make sure that I am not a ghost. Because ghosts don't have bodies, as you see that I do. As he spoke, he showed them his hands and his feet. I mean, Jesus is doing everything he can to prove to them, as frightened as they are, that he really is risen from the dead. Still, they stood there in disbelief, filled with joy and wonder. Then I love this part, because Jesus is like, man, these knuckleheads still don't get it. So what does he do? Then he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? Because what can a ghost not do? Eat. So Jesus has to go further into this. They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he ate it as they watched. Then he said, when I was with you before, I told you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and in the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said, yes, it was written long ago that the Messiah would suffer and die and rise from the dead on the third day. It was also written that his message, that this message would be proclaimed in the authority of his name to all the nations, beginning in Jerusalem. There is forgiveness of sins for all who repent. You are witnesses of all these things. And now I will send the Holy Spirit, just as my Father promised. But stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. Of course they didn't believe Jesus. We kind of look at this sometimes and think, man, these guys are knuckleheads. They are. But of course they didn't believe him. This is impossible. He died. Anybody you know risen from the dead lately? 
It's impossible. And yet Jesus is standing there before them with a physical body, and he proves it by eating some fish, which gives me hope there may be steak in heaven. I'm just saying, he had a glorified body and he ate meat, all right? But this is Jesus showing up and saying, it's real, guys. Everything that was written is, is true. It all happened exactly as we said, it would, as the scripture said, it would happen. God accomplished it. But God knew this fact alone wouldn't be enough to transform his disciples, which is why he told them to what? Stay put. Stay until what happens? The Holy Spirit falls. See, there's this new era coming in to, to the, the following God. Before it was follow the law, do your best to follow the law. They, they understood, some of them, that obedience was more important, that it was, that's what the heart of it all was, but there was sacrifice and there was, there was obedience and very few people in the Old Testament, it says the, the Spirit of God came upon them and Jesus is telling them, stay here until the Holy Spirit falls. See, he proved to them beyond a shadow of a doubt that he had risen from the dead, but he knew it wasn't enough because the goal isn't changed. It's transformed. 2 Corinthians 5, 16 to 17 says, So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. How differently we know him now. This is where some of us are this morning. We view Christ through a human point of view. I've heard many people say who don't believe in, in Jesus Christ as God that he was a good teacher. Yeah, he was a, he was a good guy. Because, I mean, history makes it impossible uh, for us to claim that Jesus didn't live. So with that proof, some, of, some people will say, yeah, he was a good guy. He taught some good things. But another theologian would argue that's impossible. Jesus was either a liar, a lunatic, or he was Lord. Either Jesus knew he wasn't God and lied about it, making him a liar, or he was a lunatic. He really legitimately thought he was God and wasn't God, or he was Lord. He really was who he said he was. This idea that Jesus was a good teacher, that he was a good prophet, doesn't exist. A good prophet, a good teacher wouldn't claim they were God. Any good teachers you know claim they're God? You should have a conversation with them if they do, because they're not. Jesus couldn't have been a good teacher unless he was God. He was who he said he was. Verse 17. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. Any of you who are believers are, who are so happy the old life is gone? All that stuff we did before we knew Christ, all the junk that we brought to the cross is gone? Amen. I'll tell you, you wouldn't have liked me before I knew Jesus. Trust me, my brother will tell you. Christ didn't die on a cross and rise from the dead so that you can be a better version of yourself, just so that you can be changed. That's not why Jesus died. Let me say that again, just in case you didn't get it. Christ didn't die on a cross and rise from the dead so you could be a better version of yourself. And yet, that's what Christianity has become. We just need to be a better version of ourselves. You just need to do better. You just need to be a better you. That's what Jesus is all about. 
Just be more patient, be more kind, go to church more, give more money, put more money in our plate and you'll be a better Christian. It's a load of baloney. Jesus didn't die so that we could be better versions of ourselves. Jesus died so we could be an entirely new creation. Completely new, completely changed and transformed. Transformed is the goal. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Any of you ever struggled wondering, what is God's will for my life? What does he want for me? This is how we find out. See, we ask those questions and we pray to the God we've created in our mind, and we wonder why he doesn't answer us, because we're saying, but God, I'm being a better version of myself. I'm trying really hard to be a better version of me. Why won't you tell me what you want for me? And God says, man, it's about transformation. If you would be transformed, and you begin to, to worship God for who he is, it becomes very clear what his will for our life is as we get to know him. Those of you who are married, you know if you've been married for a longer period of time, the longer you're married, hopefully, the better you know your spouse, the better you know exactly the, the gift that would bless their heart on their birthday or on, on Valentine's Day or your anniversary. You know, maybe you know, in that first year you got her like a, a vacuum cleaner or something and she still didn't kill you, so uh, you kept going. And then hopefully after a couple decades, you know just the right gift to give her. Why? Because you know the desires of her heart. You know her will, her desire and you're able to bless her with that, or him. That's our relationship with God. Some of us are so confused about what God wants for us because we don't even know him. We don't have a relationship with him. And so it becomes very confusing as to what he wants for us, or why certain things are happening in our life. See, Jesus told the disciples to wait for the Holy Spirit for a reason. This wasn't an arbitrary thing. It's because changed wasn't enough. They needed transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. See, knowledge can change us. Many of us have changed something about our life or our lifestyle or something else in our life because of knowledge, but only the Holy Spirit can transform us. And many of us have been changed because of the knowledge of the resurrection but few have been transformed because of the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's when things get interesting. Those of you who know Christ, who have been transformed, you know what I'm talking about. You know the difference in just a head knowledge and to being transformed. All of a sudden, all you want to do is worship him and, and bring him glory, and it becomes less about the rules, and it becomes less about the information, and it becomes less about all the judgment and the hypocrisy of Christianity, and it becomes about just true worship. We just want to bring him glory. See, the problem is we've become comfortable with inert Christianity. 
Not many of you are probably scientists, so you might not know what the word inert means. The definition of inert is lacking the ability or strength to move. See, we claim the power of Christ, but we lack the ability or the strength to move. We call ourselves Christians, which means the Holy Spirit of God dwells within us, and yet there is no display of power, no display of this awesome power of the living God. For most, I would argue, Christianity is this dull, boring thing, empowered not by the power of Christ, but by the judgment of man. That's what church has become for many And some churches, I I would hope ours isn't included in this, some churches have accepted that. That that's what Christianity is. You follow the rules, you check the right boxes, and hey, you're a great person in our eyes. But the reality is, you might be really messed up, and you might not check a whole lot of boxes, but you have a heart for God, and that's a beautiful thing. See, if you read the book of Acts, you realize that what happens in most churches on a Sunday morning, it isn't normal. It's actually dysfunctional. We've created this thing we call church, and it's this powerless, eventless, experienceless thing where we just show up and we feel like that's the goal, is that we get our body through the door and into a pew, and we warm it for like an hour, hopefully not more than an hour, and then we go home. And that's what Christianity is. Or nowadays, we warm our couch and we watch it from home because we just don't want to put the effort into getting to church. Sunday morning should be a display of the awesome power of God. You want to know why culture's so messed up, why the church has no relevancy? Because we're, we're not making any difference. We're not displaying the power of God. If we did the world would notice. It would wake up and realize there's something different about these people. There's something different about this thing they call church, about Dubois Alliance Church. Instead, far too often, church is a display of the power of the enemy. But now before you throw stones at me, as we complain, we cast judgment, we nitpick things based on our preferences, man, that's not of God. As we judgmentally look around and say, well, that person's not wearing what they should. That person doesn't look the right way. That person smells like cigarettes. They must not know God. And Sunday isn't a display of the power of God. It's a display of the enemy. As we allow him to create judgmental hearts, judgmental spirits, we turn people away because of our judgment instead of embracing them and saying, God loves you. And they say, but I'm so messed up. And we say, it's okay. God still loves you. You have no idea how messed up I am. Let me share it with you. And God still rescued me. That's the power of God. And that's what should happen on Sunday mornings. When did we begin to accept a complete lack of the power of God on Sundays? Where we show up to Sunday with absolutely no expectation that God's going to do something cool. That God's going to do something powerful. When did we decide that being changed was enough? That being better versions of ourselves is enough. Well, you know, I don't don't think God's really requiring much more of me than that. 
I think he just wants me to be a better, he just wants me to be more patient. He wants me to be a better father. He wants me to be a better, better husband, better wife, better mother. That's what God really wants for me. When did we decide that was enough? And we gave up on being transformed. We gave up on this radical thing. Because what Jesus did on Sunday, this resurrection, was radical. It changed things. It changed the natural course of what's possible. And then he said, the same thing is going to happen to you. That's why Christians call themselves sometimes born again. I'm a born again believer. Why? Because the old self died and something new was created. Not Jesus just dressed up what was there and made it look better. That's not the goal of the gospel. When did we decide the power of God was insufficient? Because I've heard people say, and I know some people still say, well, even if Jesus showed up today in person, people still wouldn't believe. Jesus could show up right in this room and there'd still be people that didn't believe it. And that's true for some people. But I want to show you real quick what happens when someone lives out the power of God in their life, when they worship him, they focus on him, and they actually live out what they believe in a way that changes everything. When you do that, even those that care nothing about God will take notice, and they'll have to make a decision. I want to introduce you to a guy named Daniel. See, Daniel lived in a culture that was far more depraved than the culture we have here in our country and in our world today. See, this was a culture that cared nothing about God. Uh, The guy in the first part here I'm going to share with you, he actually thought he was God. And he made this enormous gold statue of himself just because he wanted to be praised. And man, we got some weird leaders in our world today. But I don't see any of them making these huge statues. And and, well, maybe that's true, yeah. Some people claim that you should worship them and that they're they're some kind of God. Uh, So imagine yourself in one of those cultures. But this is what's taking place. This guy, Nebuchadnezzar, he has no interest in the God of the Israelites. They've taken the nation of Israel into captivity. They care nothing about their God. And that's where Daniel finds himself. Yet, in Daniel chapter 2, verses 46 and 47, um, this is, let me just read it. Then King Nebuchadnezzar threw himself down before Daniel and worshiped him, and he commanded his people to offer sacrifices and burn sweet incense before him. Why? Why did he do that? Because they're so depraved when they saw Daniel's, the power of Daniel's God, they thought it must be Daniel. Daniel must be God. Then the king said to Daniel, truly your God is the greatest of gods, the Lord over kings a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this secret. All Daniel did was interpret a dream for Nebuchadnezzar. And he was able to tell him what the dream was and interpret it for him. Now, Daniel didn't have that power in and of himself, but God gave him the ability to do it. God's power was displayed, and this guy who cared nothing about God began to worship God for who he was. Now, he does it through Daniel in his own messed up way, but it's very clear that Nebuchadnezzar gets there's something different about this guy. This is not your normal person. The God he serves is different. And then Nebuchadnezzar dies, new kings are raised up, and 
people begin to get jealous of Daniel and the favor God pours on him. And so they, they devise this way to get Daniel in trouble, uh, and it works. They're able to use Daniel's faith to get him in trouble with the king. Uh, and the king throws him into a den of lions, which was an easy way to kill somebody because they would starve these lions. And then they throw someone in there, and they barely touch the ground before they're completely gone. And so Daniel gets thrown into this lion's den, and we pick up the story again in Daniel chapter 6, verses 25 to 27. Then King Darius sent this message to the people of every race and nation and language throughout the world. Now, I forgot to say, Daniel doesn't die, okay? That's an important part of the story. Uh, He gets thrown into the lion's den, and he comes out completely unharmed. The lions, though they were starving, don't touch him. Now, he was a tasty little morsel, and so this was obviously the power of God being displayed because the lions should have torn him to shreds, and they didn't touch him. And so this is where we pick up the story. Then, then King Darius sent this message to the people of every race and nation and language throughout the world. Peace and prosperity to you. I decree. Now, understand, when a king in this culture decreed something, it could never be taken back. This was law now, he says. I decree that everyone throughout my kingdom should tremble with fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God. And he will endure forever. His kingdom will never be destroyed. And his rule will never end. He rescues and saves his people. He performs miraculous signs and wonders in the heavens and on earth. He has rescued Daniel Daniel from the power of the lions. Again, another king. Two kings in Daniel's life. Worship God. Because Daniel was simply obedient to God. And let the power of God be displayed through him. And it wasn't just Daniel. See, Daniel had these three friends named, well, their Babylonian name was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You may have heard this story before. These three guys refused to bow down to this image, this huge gold statue that Nebuchadnezzar has created for himself and told everybody to worship it. And they said, nah, we're not doing it. Why? Because we believe God is who he said he is. So we're just going to focus on this. And Nebuchadnezzar says, well, I'm going to kill you guys if you don't. And they say, well, we're still not doing it. And I love their response because they say, God can rescue us, but even if he doesn't, he's still God. And that's what they tell Nebuchadnezzar. And he throws him into this furnace, and then even Nebuchadnezzar himself looks into the furnace and says, wait, didn't we throw three guys into the furnace? Why do I see four? And the fourth looks like the son of God. And this is where we pick up the story. As they walk out of the fire, these three men, and they don't even smell like smoke, it says. In Daniel chapter 3, verses 28 and 29 Says then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angel to rescue this his servants who trusted in him. They defied the king's command and were willing to die rather than serve or worship any god except their own God. Therefore, I make this decree. Again, a decree. Complete law. No one can go against this. He says, if any people, whatever their race or nation or language, speak a word against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they will be torn limb from limb, and their houses will be turned into heaps of rubble. There is no other God who can rescue like this. Man, what if we live lives like this? What if our life was lived in a way that those we worked with, our family members who don't believe, our neighbors who don't believe, were left with this impression, I might not believe, but their God is the true God. 
I can see that. There is power in that person. When they have a crisis, when something's going on in their life, they come to you for prayer because they realize when you pray, things happen. Now, obviously, the power is not in you. But we, being transformed, can display the power of God. See, the knowledge of the resurrection should change you. But the power of the Holy Spirit should transform you. That's the life we should live. One transformed. Some of us wonder why our coworkers, our neighbors, our family just don't seem to really give a rip about our faith. Well, when have they seen the power of God displayed through you? Have you asked them lately how you can pray for them? Have you asked the big things of God for them? Have you sought to be the power of God to them? Because that's when things happen. That's when lives are not just changed, but transformed. And that's the goal of the gospel. So my first question for you this morning, or as we close, are you a new creation? Or are you just a better version of yourself? Have you accepted a better version of yourself? in replacement for what the gospel calls for. Because in my experience, far too often, believers have accepted a better version of themselves. And they live these powerless lives, still wrought with so much pain and so much hurt and so much frustration. And they wonder, why is it this way? I love God and I worship him and I go to church and everything should be good and, and this should be easier. And we wonder why things are still so difficult. And we realize, because you, you compromised, you accepted changed, and God called you to transform. And so this morning, I don't know where you're at. I don't know if you've ever fully surrendered your life to God, actually surrendered your life to him, and said, you know what? I'm done with changed. I've tried it. I can't be patient enough. I can't be kind enough. I can't be good enough. This isn't working and you're willing to say, you know what? I'm ready to be transformed. I'm ready to, to do this thing that Jesus called dying to self and then being raised again to life. That's why we do this thing called baptism. It's this symbolism that you go, you die, you go down under the water, and then you're risen to life again. That's what happens. Now, those of you that have done that, that have been transformed, life's so easy now, right? No, it's not. So sorry, I don't mean to disappoint you, but life is still really difficult and we still mess up a lot and we're still really messed up people who do a lot of bad things. But the goal is always to draw closer to Christ. The goal is always to be more transformed, to be more renewed by the, uh, by the Holy Spirit as we draw closer to him. And if you're the same today as you were 20 years ago, what happened? Because it's okay not to be okay. But it's not okay to stay that way. So if you're here this morning and you're saying, I'm not okay, man, I, I'm, you don't understand, Pastor, how messed up I am. I don't. But it's okay not to be okay. Jesus <laughs> loves you just where you are. But it's not okay to stay that way. Don't stay where you are. Make the leap, make the jump, and say, you know what, Jesus, I'm ready. I'm ready for transformed because I'm so sick of being changed. 
so sick of trying this on my own power, on my own strength, and failing time after time after time after time, and not experiencing this joy, this hope that we talk about as believers, because that's what's there. Man, life is still difficult, and life is still really hard, and sometimes things don't go our way, but at the end of the day, there's this hope as we look toward eternity and say, man, there's something there. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you died and you rose again. And I acknowledge that the information of the resurrection, the knowledge of the resurrection should change us. But God, it's not enough. And change doesn't do it. It didn't work for the disciples and it doesn't work for us. But you offer the power of the Holy Spirit to come in and change everything into this thing we call transformed. And so God, this morning, if there's somebody here or somebody watching who they're just done with trying with their own strength, with their own power, they're done failing constantly because they just don't have what it takes to be transformed, to live this Christian life, and they they find the power of the enemy too strong far too often, I pray you would show them transformed is really the only way. That full submission, full acceptance of you is the only way to live out what you've called us to do as Christians. And God, I pray that as they sit here this morning and as they they think about that and as they're willing to make a change, that they would first acknowledge just how messed up we are, just how sinful and in desperate need of a Savior they are. And they would lay that at your feet and they would fully accept that you welcome them in that you are willing to be their savior, to pay the penalty for their sin. And this new life would begin. And God, I pray for some who are here, who maybe for days, weeks, months, or decades have lived this knowledge Christianity without the power, that you would encourage them to humbly submit themselves to you and accept the power of the living God. And that we would not just uh, be worried about what happens on Sunday morning, but that our whole lives would be lived as worship to you. Because your power would be displayed in any way you see fit. That we would fully submit, fully surrender to you, and say it's all yours. Do what you want with it, God. Would you help us to get serious and real about our eternity this morning? Lord, I pray as we leave this place, the power of your resurrection would change us and the power of your Holy Spirit would completely transform us, that we would be new creations that have this hope in eternity and that we begin to live eternity right now, today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now as you all leave, a couple notes for you. there are some baskets at this exit, this entrance of the church for kids. So if you have kids or uh, you have kids with you or the kids down in junior church, go out this way and there's an Easter basket for you. Uh, and one of the things we do on communion Sundays is if, there, if anybody's here in need of prayer, um, you can come up to the front and the elders uh, will be up here to pray for you. Uh, and there will be people standing in the back with plates. That's for our benevolent offering. It's not an extra offering if you forgot to give your tithe or something. Uh, 
that's just for uh, the benevolent, which is for uh, us to serve people and help people within the church who have financial needs. So do you want to make you aware of that and just say, have a fantastic Resurrection Sunday. Happy Easter, everyone. Thanks for joining us for worship.